Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and today we are going to be looking at an issue that I think poses a threat to Christians today, to Christianity, uh, but also is one that's rife for introspection, reflection, repentance in some cases, and healing and strength. I'm talking about elite Christianity. Elite Christianity is a term that refers to sometimes those in ultra-leadership positions or um, influential positions and a growing rift that seems to have emerged between some of those leaders and other Christians just in the congregations, in the pews, observers, um, those seeking to be faithful in a often faithless world. So to help us do that... I am joined by Pastor Michael Clary of Christ the King Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. He recently took to Twitter to share some thoughts that reflected on all of this, and it forced me to do a double take when I, when I saw what he was sharing, because I think there's some real nourishing aspects to this that are going to be beneficial for people that are coming at this from different angles. So I think that this is a, a timely topic for us to address. I'm grateful for Pastor Clary taking some time to join us. Uh, Michael Clary, welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. Well, before we dig into the, the meat of what you shared, would you be willing just to share with our audience a little bit more about yourself and how you came to ministry? Yeah, um, so I'm... Uh, from West Virginia, originally born and raised in Huntington, West Virginia. And after I graduated from college, I went to Marshall University, same town, Huntington, West Virginia. And after that, um, I joined the staff of Campus Crusade for Christ. And I was on staff with them. They, they go by crew now. We were at the University of Louisville for about five years. And during that time, I got involved in planting a church in Louisville and also went to seminary, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. During that time, uh, my my heart and desire for church planting and just church ministry in general grew to the point to where I sensed a call to plant a church. And I was drawn to an urban Rust Belt environment. After looking at Indianapolis, Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, we ended up settling on Cincinnati. So in 2008, my wife and I and our two kids moved to Cincinnati to plant an urban church uh, close to the University of Cincinnati, right here in the, the heart of the city. Started the church. It launched in 2010. Ever since then, um, you know, we've had 13 years of ups and downs and lots of joys and uh, heartache, uh, just as you would have with any ministry. But it's it's been a great ride, and I'm and I'm just thrilled to that God has called me to do this, and this is what I get to spend my life doing. Yeah, I'm grateful every time I get to talk to. Uh faithful pastors or believers that are carrying out their tasks as led by the Lord. In this case, we're talking because um, in the midst of your ministry and your shepherding responsibilities, you shared some thoughts on elite Christianity that was posted not too long ago. This is being recorded 
uh, January 18th, 2023. Not too long ago, this went up. And it's not always that people reference Twitter as the source of affirming, thoughtful, reflective words. Too often it can be just pointed and sharp. But this, this was a little bit of a different take. And honestly, it's a, it's a thread, but I think it's worth quoting in full if you'd be willing to just share how that read. Um, I think our audience is going to be blessed by it and also by the exchange that can follow where we just tease out some of this a little bit more for them. Would you be willing just to read that thread? Yep, happy to do so. Here's where it begins. There once was a certain kind of evangelical Christian I felt free to make fun of. I was pastoring a fast-growing church in an urban environment, and a spirit of elitism had infected us. No one would correct me on it because they made fun of them too. The people we felt free to mock were conservative, uneducated, backwoods fundies who still read the KJV. They lacked the theological sophistication and cultural insight I had acquired while doing campus ministry and studying at seminary. I came from the hills of West Virginia, Appalachian, born and bred. I knew these people well because I grew up around them, but I had moved on. I was better than them. I was more learned and cultured. I had seen the world and they hadn't. I was a successful church planter in an urban cultural context in Cincinnati. My sending organization flew me around the country to share my success stories and train younger planters in the way it's done. I would not have admitted this at the time, but deep down, I felt superior to my hometown people and their country religion. My ministry success was at least partly driven by a desire to separate myself from them and prove that I'm not one of those fundy Christians. But then it began to dawn on me. I was standing on the shoulders of giants. My grandfather was one of those country preachers. He provided for his family by working a physically demanding job in a steel mill his whole life. His family was poor, but he did what needed to be done. He had only received a sixth grade education. He didn't know how to read very well. He listened to the KJV Bible on audio cassette on his 45-minute commute to work, up and back every day, listening to the Bible. King James, scripture got under his skin. My mom told me a story once when he was filling out paperwork or writing something he didn't know, uh, or writing something and didn't know how to spell a word, he would remember where that word was in his King James Bible. Then he looked it up to see how it was spelled. My great-grandfather was the same way. He only received a third grade education. He planted a church deep in the hills of West Virginia and built a building for it on his property. He ministered there for many years, preaching from his King James Bible. He lived to be 102 years old and was healthy and energetic up to the very end. In his 90s, he would take fruit baskets to the shut-ins of his church who were much younger than him. He married his wife when she was 14. He remained faithful to her, and they enjoyed 74 years together. In my office, I have this poem framed that my great-grandfather, Papa Galli, we called him, wrote. he wrote it on September 1st, 1928, about his call to ministry. He didn't really retire. He just slowed down. He re remained faithful to that calling for the rest of his life. He died on July 1st, 2011. He stayed true to the Lord and to his calling for 80 years. 80 years. And here I was, three or four years into my new church plant, attracting a few hundred people, feeling like I had accomplished something, feeling superior to men like my grandfather and great-grandfather. So I repented. I repented of my arrogance. I repented of my self-righteous attitude 
towards that old-time religion that sustained my grandparents who had so much less than me. I repented of looking down on faithful older Christians who had passed on a legacy to me. I share all these things because my arrogance was cultivated in an evangelical subculture that produces a spirit of elitism, and I wanted to ascend the ladder and achieve notoriety within that subculture. What I have learned is that that subculture is actually sub-Christian. Elitist Christianity cannot survive the rigors of hard discipleship, but my grandparents did, and they handed me a legacy to follow. There are many points of doctrinal disagreement that I would have with my grandfathers, but these were men who suffered and knew how to suffer well. These are the sorts of men that deserve our respect and admiration. Men who finished well and stayed true. Men of whom the world is not worthy. By God's grace, I want to follow in their footsteps and be like them. Thank you very much for reading that. I know that at parts of that, that was emotional for you to read. And as one who looks back on my own grandfather and the important role that he played in my life, I understand that and I appreciate that. And I think that the humility and the authenticity of what you wrote is what I think our listeners are really going to detect. There's a lot of gold in, in what you shared. I think this is important in this season uh, because I do feel like we are in a season of refining. The church is being purified. I feel like many things are being shaken right now. Things are being revealed. Hearts, The hearts of men, the hearts of pastors are, are being revealed. In many ways, that's not a pleasant phenomenon, but it is a profitable experience. At the same time, I feel like we're in a period where the church is being savaged. The enemy wants to maximize additional trauma as well. So that's where this rift between what we might describe as elitist Christianity is at odds with other Christians. And to some extent, there's going to be purification revealing through that. In other respects, there's a potential for damage that I think we can speak to today. Before I go a little bit more into that, was there a, was there a particular event or a moment that you can recall where this first kind of popped in your mind, this concept that you described in your, in your writing? I can't identify a specific moment. There was a, there were a few times here and there that I would have a, a prick of conscience. I remember hearing a, a preacher once that uh, I was listening to uh, one of his sermons online and he had a, a penchant for being funny and he could just he could just have the crowd right in the palm of his hand and make jokes and and he would make fun of toothless banjo picking hillbilly Christians. He made some comment like that, and it was funny. The crowd was laughing, and I I found myself laughing. Initially, that sort of thing registered to me as, "Hey, that's that's a crowd pleasing sort of line." And when you're a young preacher, young minister, you look for things like that. You you even subconsciously can pick up on little things that can make you feel like, uh, here's an advantage I can have, uh, a tactic or strategy. And and I think that that's part of the problem in the church world now is that uh, we rely on strategies, things that work, uh, pragmatism. And there's a a sense of faithfulness, the fear of God, obedience to him, no matter what the world thinks, um, that, that is lost in the desire to see people one to the faith, which is a good and noble desire, but it's come at a heavy cost because we've we have compromised in various ways along the way. And that was a compromise that I think I heard in that other preacher. And I made similar jokes in my own preaching and I got a similar response. And those jokes will play in an urban environment. 
it's it, it was more of a slow growing realization that these toothless uh, banjo picking hillbilly Christians. I was like, that's my family. I know like all of the stereotypes. Um, I grew up around them. I know them. Uh, the trailer parks, the the poverty, the but but there's a there's a sympathy towards urban poverty that we lack towards Appalachian and rural poverty, but the 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 heartache and the desperation is the same. They just manifest in different ways. And so I I started to wonder like why do I feel more sympathy towards one kind of person and less sympathy towards a different kind of person when they both have the same trials, the same problems, the same sin patterns. And there is the need of grace amongst them all. And then I realized that my grandfathers, that's who they minister to. Um, so there's a, at least in my circles, there is a, a, cert, a certain cachet that comes with doing urban ministry. I think the there was an explosion of church planting and a focus on cities that happened in the 2000s, uh, early mid 2000s. And so I felt like, okay, I'm on the cutting edge. I'm, I'm, I'm on the winning team. I'm part of the celebrated class. And I just the Holy Spirit just continued to convict me that I was feeling superior, convicted of that as a sin. I started to repent of that as a sin. And the repentance was, I suppose, more quiet and internal. I didn't draw a lot of attention to it. I didn't talk about it. It was just a resolve in my heart that I'm not going to do that anymore. In December of, it was a, so a little over a month ago, this past year was a very difficult year of ministry for me, um, one that was very sobering. And um, I started to see more clearly what's at stake and what we do and the desire to please God and obey God and and, and the desire to please man. Um, my desire to please God increased. My desire to be popular and, and those sort of things. The Lord has given me some measure of freedom from that. And so uh, that was at the end of the year. And I'm, I walk into my office and I see this, this uh, framed poem that my grandfather wrote in 1928 and so i'm thinking okay this is 2022 almost 2023 so this was written almost 100 years ago and i'm looking at this poem and uh, i read it and it's 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 very sweet um very uh it's it's very real and my and i just got to peer into my grandfather's soul a bit when he was a younger man than i am now he lived to be 102 and he was younger at that time than i am now and I was, I was just overcome in that moment with who he was, what he did, what my grandfather, he was my great grandfather, my grandfather as well. And so I just sketched out a few thoughts and shared it on Twitter. And uh, next thing I know, uh, I went on to write my sermon uh, that day. And next thing I know, my phone is blowing up with all kinds of notifications. And it, it had really, it, I think it had really struck a nerve. So it was, it was just a really unexpected uh, thing. And, uh, but I'm glad that it was a blessing to a lot of people. From my vantage point, and this is a very recent development, but I've started to hear from more and more people in leadership roles or, or pastoral positions echoing a similar sentiment where it's dawning on them that they have strayed into elitist type thinking. Maybe they have found themselves pointing at others to maybe make their own ministry look more attractive or to generate the laughs, the entertainment value. There's been this almost a, a repentance, a repentant spirit in that, which I think is beautiful. And I think more more of us can take notes from that. And I think that that repentance is needed beyond that. We will return to the podcast momentarily. But first, a word from our sponsor. 
Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at ChristianEmergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. The last two years have been hard, especially hard. I feel like the, the rift has, has gaped even more. There's a need for repentance across the board by, by many. Would you agree that over the last two years, that rift has widened? And if so, do you have any thoughts on why or, or what's driving that? I, I have seen more of the widening of the rift than I have seen of repentance of it. Um, I've, I have a limited vantage point that might have been, uh, I suppose, in, in some ways, why I, I wanted to write about it. The thing that I see in myself um, and I wanted to repent of is, is not something I see only in myself. It's like the old saying, it takes one to know one. It's like the the elitist spirit that was in my own heart. i I see that elsewhere. It wasn't. I didn't want to write like I want to call out the American Church for this thing. I wanted to say, hey, this is my story, and um, share what God did in my heart. But when I look in the scriptures, I see that there's the elitism is there too. The Sadducees were more of the uh, cultural elites among the Jews, and the Pharisees were more of the populist elites. Uh, but they, but there, there was an elite class then, and those were the ones that crucified Jesus, and yet they were the religious leaders. There was a fear, I suppose, knowing my own heart, my own temptations, that in the doing of ministry, I could become an enemy of Christ, or at least behave as an enemy of Christ. And one of the changes that I made in my own thinking was was to start thinking of people of Christians that I might be tempted to look down on as, as to thinking these are my people. So I don't look at other urban dwellers or other people that have the same football team that, you know, that they support, or it's like, you know, what, what do you think of who are my people? I think my people are Christians and a lot of Christians are not the people Christians are used to getting dumped on and made fun of. And I don't want to participate in that. I don't, I don't want to mock the body of Christ. There's a needed repentance and rebuke and so forth correction like that, that that's fair game but uh to to enjoy at somebody else's expense a good laugh was wrong and so i i i would love to see more of that repentance i would yeah. love to see a, a more more of a a contrition and humility for, for, for coming from that sector and, yeah. and, and i'm not against people being in high positions of influence i i think that's good and needed but there's a way to do it that is that can be really unhelpful and and, and damaging, and I, I don't want to be a part of that. No, I I get that, and um, I here's what I would also say when I when I mentioned that I'm starting to see some acts of repentance on this front. That's a 
brand new phenomenon. I would say that your piece here is evidence of the front leading edge of that wave. This is a recent development, um, certainly not enough, and that's why I'm I'm interested in uh, taking your positions and, and making it more well known, at least to our audience, so that they can begin reflecting on it. And when I describe perhaps a need for this to be more broadly considered, here's where I see the enemy working diligently on this front. He loves the rift. He loves the church separating and eating itself alive. And he wants us to seize on any ill-chosen word. He wants us to seize on any perceived slight. Um, he wants elites to, to feel more ensconced in their elitism. Um, he wants that division and fighting, even in many respects where we're all trying to serve the Lord in faithful ways, in different ways, urban ministry or rural ministry or missions across the world. I guess my caution would be to even to those that would proudly identify as fundamentalist Christians, um, some of them may be tempted to write off wholly other leaders that they've seen who have said something in the last couple of years as all of these stress tests have hit the church. They remember that one thing that was said, and they are out. They are blacklisted. I just want to caution all of us to reflect on that. And one of the other things I like about your piece is that you remind us of who our spiritual family is. You know, like you described some of the these poor believers in Appalachia, poor believers, uh, less educated believers from earlier times. That's part of our spiritual heritage. That's part of our spiritual family. And in many ways, when we do take our eyes off of our own circle and look at them, we will be in awe of the faithfulness that they demonstrate. Um, and that is part of our family um, it takes us down a peg or two. It, t- it takes us off of our high horse at times. I think that's so healthy. So that's my caution flag that I'm throwing out there for the church. Yes, things are being refined, and yes, I do think that, um, like like you said, there has there have to be leaders in some of these positions, and they have to serve faithfully, and they have a hard job. They have a hard job. I think one of the things when I look at Scripture and I compare it to today is you can see, like you were talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, often they were so concerned about their influence or their standing before other authorities. They have a lot to lose, but that is a danger. So some of that is being shaken loose. Some of the unhealthy aspects of that is being shaken in this season. I just want us to not allow the enemy to to take advantage of the situation and, and really inflict fratricide you know, where, where it doesn't need to happen. We can have disagreements. We might have said something wrong and off-putting to somebody. Um, if we have and we, we become convicted, if we can step back and look at that, like you were describing, we can repent of that. We can seek restoration in that. And if there's really unhealthy stuff, we let that slide and, and be refined out. But I want to strengthen the church where this rift is not helpful, where this rift is just gaping and, and seeking to swallow souls. What what are your thoughts on that description of of all of this playing? Yeah, I I I agree with you totally. I think the the enemy, the enemy we we can picture him maybe in our caricature in our mind as a it's the the most gross excesses of sin and indulgence in the world, but it, those weren't the people that crucified the Lord. The people that crucified the Lord were they came from a respectable class, and I think that. It, it's not a one or the other. 
it is it is a both and the the enemy can manifest in a number of different ways he can disguise as an angel but he can also be um just hell opening its mouth and belching out all kinds of uh evil and rebellion there's all sorts of ways that it can manifest and i think that there's a we we need to have our our antenna up uh to detect not only evil that's out there so to speak but evil that's in here in our own souls um and and that's a difficult thing because on the one hand we want to we want to climb a ladder as pastors it's like where, where what what opportunities do we have to climb a ladder what is the what's the next step you know in the corporate world um you can start in the mail as a mail clerk and then work your way up to uh you know to the sales floor and then get a corner office and vp and on up to the board and there's a path to ascendancy um whereas in the church we we don't have those pathways and so we create them and we can create them in ways that are that for for good reason uh we need hierarchies and you know chain of command and and people in leadership positions to have influence and that's a good and needed thing and I praise God for them but there's an attendant danger that if we're not careful we can we can do the devil's work for him by speaking ill of people that of, of faithful people and, and and i think that when i think of my grandfathers and like these men uh serve like my great grandfather for 80 years I and mean, that's a that's an incredible thing it's like he did not care about his name being in lights he did not care about being a famous christian he was a simple man and i'm like that man will be closer to the throne than myself i saw how he walked at uh, he lived it. He walked it for his whole life. And I saw him, one of my most prized possessions is that he had uh, this nice preaching Bible that, that he carried around. I, and I got to inherit that. I'm like, that that was his treasure. I just think if there's a, we can have our values um, a little out of whack and it's good for the Lord to knock us off our horse and shine a light into our souls and help us to see our sin and need to repent and and I, and I I love the way you say it. It's like there is a this is something that needs to happen. It's a needed corrective. Um, we can overreact and try to tear down every leader, and that's that's not healthy. But we do need to have just a, a sense of humility in the way that we we operate, and that's it's one of the most slippery of all virtues um, because pride is always there along with it. But Amen. Yep, it is. The piercing of pride is evident in your in this piece that you put together as well, which I think is very important. These themes of humility and just stepping back and reflecting on our spiritual family a little bit more thoughtfully, just hitting pause and looking at them. I mean, when you're describing your great-grandfather, when you're describing your grandfather, and the fact that so much, well, just one piece of fruit from their ministry is is in you, in your ministry today. And all that stemmed from this faithfulness that they demonstrated all those years ago and for such a, a long time. So I think that that's, that's beautiful for us to, to think and ponder and consider. For anybody that's listening, really honestly, around the world, having been involved with kingdom efforts in countries around the world, um, I've seen this in, in local churches over there. I've seen this a type of elitism. Sometimes I would argue it's, it can be even more flagrant than what we've seen in the United States over the last two years. That can happen there. I think it can happen amongst uh, missionaries. I think missionaries can sometimes conclude that they are just savvier, sharper. They, they've been through the training. They know exactly how 
the strategy is supposed to play and, and all the others around them are really worthy of wearing dunce caps and sitting in the corner with coloring books, I think all of us can step back and reflect on who we are, what we're doing, what we're called to do, and how we should conduct ourselves as believers. Um, I want to just impress upon anybody that's young, just be self-aware that this can creep into your heart very subtly over time. It just kind of crystallizes slowly over years. Seminary students, the same in pastors, leaders, this is just a great call to just sit back in your chair, pray, and ask for God to reveal you know, where we might be falling into this trap. You know, pride is one of the most nefarious of sins, and it is so eager to creep up. We're blind to it sometimes. But I thought your piece did an excellent job of just surfacing some of these issues and offering some potential for healthy correction. And maybe some of us who a year or two ago, some things were said or actions were taken. Uh, maybe there's some repentance that needs to be carried out. But in the days ahead, maybe some elements of this can be walking more in stride with one another than we were uh, during when things really got shaken up. And um, so that's what I'm, I'm eager to see. Pastor Clary, do you have any other thoughts as we get ready to, to close up? And I'll, I'll make one, one final comment um, on something you said. It, I think one ironic thing is that there was, there was such a distance in my heart that it didn't dawn on me until just a few years ago, like it's, this is recent past when, um, that this, that I'm like following in their footsteps. It, it wasn't as though I was thinking of, Oh, I'm, I want to, I want to carry on the torch from them. It was, it was one of those humorous moments where I, where I was like, I didn't even, it didn't even connect the dots in my mind that, that I'm doing the same thing that they were doing ministry wise. And it's just fun to see the Lord. It's like, I was trying to run away from, from the from this thing and ended up running right into it um but it's uh it's cool how the word works in that way and teaches us through those little insights yep it is and i do think god likes to laugh sometimes and he allows us to reflect on our own steps sometimes and chuckle to ourselves and not take ourselves too seriously so absolutely well, like I said, I was blessed by what you shared. I think a number of people who are just being exposed to this have been blessed. So we want to thank you for that. If any of our listeners do want to learn more about your ministry or, or your work, is there any way that they can do that? The the Twitter handle that I use is D Michael Clary. Uh, D is my first initial, and then Michael Clary C L A R Y. And and I'll also have a website dmichaelclary.com, where I have a handful of articles posted there. Okay. Well, we'll be sure to include that in our show notes, but uh, Pastor Clary, thank you very much for your time and uh, the, the thoughtful reflection that you shared. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. You bet. Have a good one. You too. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.